Turn to Ephesians 5. We are in our fifth week of working through the marriage section at the end of Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, we've been in Ephesians for a long time, a couple years I think, and uh, week number 5 in the marriage section. I wanted to wrap up this section today, but I don't think we're going to. Um, there's a lot that we can talk about in the remaining three verses in this section. But uh, for today, follow as I read. I'll read verses 31 to 33, but again, I don't think we're going to do it all. This is the Word of God. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Amen. Now, um, there are uh, obviously a number of things here that are applicable to those of us who are married. Um, But really, verse 31 lends to just a take a step back, bigger view of of what constitutes a biblical marriage. And that's, that's kind of where I want to focus today, more of a big picture view on uh, marriage and gender, particularly as it relates to some of the things going on in our culture today. Um, look at verse 31. Verse 31 is a restatement of Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And I want you to turn there to, so that we can look at it together. Genesis 2... Verse 24. As you're turning, a little bit of context about that section of the Bible. It's the beginning of time. Uh, Adam is with God in the Garden of Eden. He has been given the responsibility of naming all of the animals. uh, But in doing so, he has yet to find a helper fit for himself. So someone was telling me earlier this week, they imagine, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Elephant, Mr. and Mrs. Giraffe, Mr. and Mrs. Lion... Mr. and Mrs. Panda Bear, etc. But, you know, all the while the tension builds because where is Mrs. Adam? And uh, everyone else has a mate, the animals do, but he doesn't. And so, thus the exclamation, um, you know, God causes a deep sleep, takes one of his ribs, forms the woman, brings Eve to Adam. And this at last, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This tension has been building and he is now thrilled to see his helpmate. Uh, She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Okay, in light of that, man and woman, verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, they shall become one flesh. So, this is a reference to the first marriage uh, between Adam and Eve, but we also need to see that this is the prescribed pattern for all ensuing marriages. Uh, It doesn't say Therefore, Adam left his father and mother. Of course, Adam didn't have an earthly father and mother. Surely it is a reference to their marriage, but it is also much more than that. It is not just describing Adam and Eve's marriage. This is God establishing the institution of marriage. Uh, This is God's pattern for all marriages. A man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, who is a woman, two shall become one flesh. Now, this is extremely relevant for our time, but before uh, we get to its relevant application, I want to make sure that we are indeed clear 
uh, that this is God's pattern for all marriages and that this has not changed since the beginning of time. So turn back to the New Testament to Mark chapter 10. There are many tricksy interpretations floating around during our day. And, uh, you know, people wanting to or trying to make the culture fit into the Word, but it's not going to fit. And remember that we are to interpret the culture through the lens of the Word. We are not to interpret the Word through the lens of the culture. Our responsibility in such times is simply to hold dear to God's wonderful Word no matter how crazy it gets. Mark 10, uh, verses 6 and 7. Jesus speaking, But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Now, there are many people in the world who don't care a thing about what God's Word says. You know, they would look at a verse like this and say, yeah, I see what it says, and I hate what it says. Um, But then there are those who want to tinker with God's Word and see if we can do some stretching in some areas areas to make our agenda fit. Uh, Quick aside, which one do you think Satan is more like? A tinkerer. Now... Uh, you know, you could, I, I guess, argue that he is both. Certainly, Satan hates God's Word, uh, and he twists God's Word. But as far as his methods of perversion, he's a tinkerer and a twister. He's too cunning to just outright deny he's going to do some, you know, twisting. That's what he did with Eve in the Garden of Eden. He changed what God said and he twisted it. That's what he attempted to do with Jesus in the desert. Uh, he twisted. So in light of that, um, there are those servants of Satan in our world today who want to twist God's Word to deceive the flock into believing that the waywardness of the culture is the way that we should go. They will appeal to passages like Galatians 3.28. Uh, it's one that you'll hear often in these kinds of discussions, which says, there is neither Jew nor Greek There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that can be confusing. Because it does say, there is no male and female. So what do we do with that? The first rule of Bible interpretation is that we have to interpret Scripture with Scripture. And that only, not only means interpreting a verse according to its larger context in that section of the book and in the larger section you know, in that book, but also according to the whole Bible. It fits in context of the whole Bible. There is no contradiction in God, therefore we know there is no contradiction in the Bible, which is God's Word. Uh, we may not understand how things fit together, but we have to start with the operating assumption that they do fit together, and work from there. For example, the Galatians passage, what is Paul doing there? 
Is he trying to overturn gender norms with this statement, no male and female? Or is he doing something else? Well, uh, it's pretty clear, very clear, that he's doing something else. And we get a clue as to what he's doing at the end of that verse. No Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Okay, so all one in what sense? Uh, not in the sense that you can no longer distinguish a Jew from a Gentile, a slave from a free man, or a male from a female. Of course you can still distinguish them. But we are all one in the sense that no one has greater access to God than the other. Jew and Gentile have the same access to God in Christ. Slave and free man have the same access to God in Christ. Male, female, same access to God in Christ. We are all God's children through faith in Jesus Christ, which is what the point of that section in Galatians is about. And if you think about the original context when Paul was teaching this, this was a radical teaching in Paul's time in Galatians. You know, the Jews had been God's chosen people for centuries... But now we're hearing that Gentiles are non-Jews, everyone else, me and you, and everyone that's not a Jew. We're hearing that Gentiles are now just as much God's people as a Jew through Christ. We're all one in Christ. In fact, if you have faith in Christ, you are more God's people than a Jew who does not have faith in Christ. They are not God's people. Now, we could chase that, but we're not going to. Um, If you think in terms of worship in the Jewish temple, men always had more access, a closer proximity to the Holy of Holies where God dwelled. Men were able to go further in in the courts than women and children. There were outer courts for women, children. There were even further outer courts for Gentiles. And what Jesus did, He came to blow all that up and say, no, you all have the same access to God in Me. So again... We're all the same in Christ, not the same in the sense that there's no such thing as male and female anymore, which is what people that want to twist Scripture want to say about that verse. It's not the point of the verse. It means that we are all on equal footing through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, that interpretation is only confirmed when interpreting Scripture with the rest of Scripture. We go to passages like Genesis 2 and then Mark 10 and our passage in Ephesians 5 and see that the testimony of Scripture has been confirmed Throughout the centuries, nothing has changed. Uh, we see God's pattern for gender and marriage in the beginning, and it's still the same. In fact, we've talked over and again in Ephesians about um, how one of the things going on here is that how the husband and wife are in different assigned positions with different assignments. But the, the goal is that the different positions work in concert toward the same goal. You know, the glory of God, serving Christ. There's a complement to our different positions, like a quarterback and a tight end or whatever you want to say. Um, if we abandon the distinctions in marriage, we get chaos. And not only distinctions with husband and wife, but distinctions in gender, male and female. Now you might think, okay, okay, I get it. Sheesh, I mean, you're really belaboring the point. But it's because we have to think. And and we have to think in light of Scripture. Satan is prowling around and many church-going folk are getting devoured. 
From the beginning, God created us male and female. That has not changed. There are no other options. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. That hasn't changed either. One man, one woman. End of story. Gender and marriage two areas where our culture is undergoing massive cultural shifts. Um, But the Word of God is not shifting. It does not change. It will not fade. So on what grounds can someone say that it has changed now? Only on unbiblical grounds. So I want to think about these two cultural issues um, more up close and personal in light of what we've seen. Same-sex marriage and transsexual gender. Uh, First, same-sex marriage. Now, again, we know what the culture is saying. Last summer, the the Supreme Court guaranteed that uh, same-sex couples have the fundamental right uh, to marry. And, you know, the popular voice of the culture wants us to get in line. The decision has been handed down. The case is now closed. Uh, gay marriage should be celebrated, and if you don't like it, shut up. And honestly, we shouldn't expect anything different from the unbelieving world. They are in the business, Romans 1 teaches us, of suppressing the truth about God and worshiping the creature rather than the Creator. So they're just being consistent. It makes sense. But what is so disconcerting is that so many in the church are saying the same thing that the world is saying. Or if not in outright agreement, many in the church have bought into the lie that we need to keep our beliefs to ourselves. You know, separation of church and state. Which again is a very perverted view of that. We don't have time to chase that either. We can another day. But um, maybe you think that way. Maybe you think, you know, you're really wasting your breath on this. I mean... It has already been decided, and it's not going anywhere. And if we can just look around, I mean, things are really gaining steam in that direction and with no sight of you know, that being overturned. The Supreme Court has guaranteed that uh, same-sex couples have the fundamental right to marry. The, the decision has been handed down. The case is closed. But I just want to say to you that it is not wasting our energy to think and talk about these things. Uh, In fact, it is urgent that we do think and that we do talk about them. Uh, We are here on earth to make disciples. To be disciples and to make disciples. So how do we make disciples? Well, if you go to the original charge to do that, Jesus said, all authority, heaven and earth, has been given to me. This is post-resurrection. He's come back from the dead. The Father has now given Him all authority, every ounce of it, heaven and earth. Even if we do not yet see all things under His feet, they are now under His feet. He is Lord, all authority. In light of that, go and make disciples of all nations. Well, how do we do that? Baptism and teaching. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. So, the Supreme Court may have given same-sex couples the right to marry, but 
There are times when the highest court in our land is in conflict with the highest court in the universe, and we only agree with the highest court in the United States so long as it agrees with God's court. So the court papers from heaven have been handed down to us in the Scriptures. And it is my responsibility, it is our responsibility, not only to obey the Lord ourselves, but also to teach others to do the same. And a major part of this is simply testifying to the truth. We can do that warmly. We can do that winsomely. We can do that compassionately. It will require courage. It will require boldness at times. But we cannot teach anybody to obey the truth if we're not going to tell them what the truth is. And maybe you think, okay, I don't want to get all muddled up in that stuff. kind of smells like politics or whatever. I just want to be about the gospel. You know, that's what I'm really about. I'm just about the gospel. And that's kind of where I'm going to stay. And you kind of seem like you're, all right. Well, that's what I want to be about too. But when the gospel meets real people in real life, people that have been steeped in this culture, these questions are going to come up. They may not come up right away. Uh, They may not come up for some time, but let's just say you make it as far as explaining the good news about Jesus' life for us and His death for us on the cross in place of paying for our sins, and then you you get to talk about the resurrection and, and how He has defeated the power of sin and death. And let's say they really, in hearing this, they want to repent and and believe the gospel and follow Jesus. And let's say that they don't know anything. Um, one of these children from the soccer teams, and they haven't heard the gospel, and they're like, yeah, I would love to know, okay, well, how do I follow Jesus? So we start at square one. Well, we've talked to them about Jesus being Savior, but we also know Jesus is not only Savior, Jesus is Lord. Again, all authority, heaven and earth. Well, what does that mean? Um... Well, for one, it means He defines what is true. He defines what is right. He defines what is good. We are His servants, uh, simply here on His commission to carry out the expansion of His kingdom. Okay, got it. Well, everybody here in this nation is talking about gay marriage. And and, uh, does Jesus have anything to say about that? Listen, whether because people are homosexual themselves or because they're partial to popular belief on these issues for whatever reason, family members or friends or whatever reason, people are going to want to know what we say about homosexuality. What do you think about same-sex marriage? And we had better say and think what Jesus says and thinks. According to the Bible, homosexuality is sin and same-sex marriage, simply put, is no marriage at all. It is an assault on God's design. God's design is one man and one woman until death do you part. It has been that way from the beginning. Nothing has changed. Same-sex marriage is a lie. Next, let's think about uh, transsexual gender. I stumbled upon this um, magazine this week, Scientific American Mind. Um... It is a 170-year-old publication. At least that's the best I could tell. Uh, They say we continue our proud 170-year-old scientific American tradition of offering articles written by leading scientists. So um, that's what they are. 
and their little <clears throat> subtext, you know, they're out to teach us uh, insights about behavior and brain science. So that's, you know, what's going on here. I would just tell you, they're in the business of disciple making too. You know, they have their view of the way things operate and they want to teach people to obey uh, certain ways of thinking. So we just need to see if their insights are indeed insightful, if they're consistent with God's Word. Uh, I just, there's a long article here. That's the cover story, Young and Transgender. There's a long article, but I mean, I'm just hooked in the even letter to the editor, and that's really where I'm just reading from now. Um, not, Not letter to the editor, from the editor. This is what this edition is about. Uh, The first paragraph, it says, Is it a boy or a girl? When it comes to personal identity, gender is so foundational that it is often the first thing we ask new parents when we learn that a human being has entered the world. But as the behavioral sciences have revealed, gender is not the simple binary matter implied in that age-old question, nor is it so easy to determine from a child's visible anatomy. For an estimated 0.3% of people in the U.S., external appearances feel like a terrible mistake. Okay? So I want you to note a couple things uh, just from that. Number one, they do have a primary source of revelation. You know, the behavioral sciences have revealed. And so what they're doing is they're studying according to what can be examined. They have revelation, and they're working from their first principles in that revelation to come to conclusions. But the thing we need to see is their primary principles are not coming from God's Word. They're coming from people. They're not coming from the Creator. They're coming from the creation. Uh, They're coming from people's behaviors. The second thing we need to see is that the tension that is being described here is very real. Very real. For many people in our country, in this world, in our community, I would even venture to say for some in this church, external appearance feels like a terrible mistake. Uh, The next paragraph talks about the ongoing debate among clinicians about how best to help this very real issue with children, little kids, and adolescents that have proper term gender dysphoria. And the way they define that is what experts describe as the insistent, consistent, persistent sense that one's sex is not what is written on the birth certificate. It goes on. Some people made this known almost from the time that they could speak. One three-year-old. That's how old my son is told his mother, Mommy, something went wrong when I was in your tummy. And from that age, has a very real sense that I know what the birth certificate says, I know what when you look at me what it looks like, but something went wrong. So, I don't want to just lob hand grenades. I want us to enter into the actual problem and think about a very real tension that really does exist. That's a real thing. This really happens to little kids and to adolescents, and they really are in terrible conflict about that. And now that it's okay for people to talk about this, there's just going to be more. Because a lot of people have been living in silence. 
I can't talk about it. Well, it's okay now culturally to say this, so you're just going to see more. So we have to think about it. And we have to think about it carefully and compassionately and Christianly. I didn't mean to do three C's there, but that worked. Uh, <laughs> so I would ask you this. What if that's your kid? Or what if you have a friend or a family member that goes through this? How are you going to respond? And don't think it's not going to be. Are you going to tell them they need professional help? Well, I hope you feel attention there. Because we need to make sure that we know the things that are trending in the professional world. Follow your heart. Do what you feel. This feels like a mistake? Cut it off. Take hormones. Live out what you feel so you can truly be yourself and be happy. That sounds like a familiar cultural principle expressed in a number of different areas. Well, now it's being expressed here. There is an ongoing debate among clinicians about how best to help children and adolescents who go through gender dysphoria. And what I would say to you is that clinicians aren't the only ones who need to enter that debate. Christian parents and Christian pastors and Christian educators and Christian friends need to enter that debate as well. And to say, not with our children. And by God, if I can do anything about not with their children either. Because God has made another way. And that is a terrible mistake. The operating assumptions of these professionals are deeply flawed. They're simply operating from principles that are opposed to the truth. They have no view of God's design. They have an opposite view of human nature, of of what's gone wrong in the world. They have a competing view of the foundational questions and answers to our existence than the one that God has handed down to us in the Scriptures. So again, we ought to enter into this with real compassion. You know, I mean, this is a real problem a real tension that people really feel. And to explain it away and to do some heavy-handed, you know, Christian ease thing, it's just a horrible way to go about it. Especially with a child. I mean, you know, identify with their very real burdens. But we have to think about what will we say? What will we say if that's our kid or that's our niece or nephew, or that's a student in my class, or in my kid's class, or, you know, well, Genesis is a good place to start. And, uh, you know, we get our bearings by going to the beginning of our existence. From the beginning, God made us male and female. That has not changed. Jesus confirmed that in His ministry. This is the consistent testimony of Scripture all the way through. Male and female, no third option. That's where we have to start. Okay, well what about the adolescent girl who who comes and has this insistent, consistent, persistent sense that my sex is not what is on my birth certificate? Something is wrong. What about the three-year-old that says, Mommy, something went wrong when I was in your tummy. Tell them, you're right. Something went wrong when you were in my tummy. You inherited sin. 
our great, great, greatest grandfather and grandmother, Adam and Eve, chose to sin against God in the Garden of Eden, and all human beings have been born in sin ever since. And if there's a way we can sum up what sin is at its essence, it is against God and against God's design. What sin means, it means that we've turned against God. It means that we've turned against one another. It means that we've turned against ourselves. But buddy, God did not leave us in our sin. He loved us so much that He sent His Son Jesus to die for our sin, to bring us back to Him. We have to confess our sin to God, turn away from our sin to God through faith in Jesus Christ, and not only does God make our relationship with Him good again, He also makes our relationship with other people good again, and He makes our relationship with ourselves good again. Now, that may take a long time, and, and you may still struggle with these feelings. Gender, uh, same-sex attraction, or gender dysphoria, or whatever it is. You may struggle with them for a long time. But one of the first principles of Christianity is that we do not follow our feelings. We follow Jesus according to His Word. God made us male and female. Sin corrupted God's design, but it did not destroy it. And in and through Jesus, God's design is being fully restored. God made us male and female, therefore marriage is when one man leaves the family to join with one woman to start a new family. They hold fast to one another till death do them part. Again, sin corrupted God's design, but it did not destroy it. And in and through Jesus, God's design is not being forsaken, it is being restored. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you uh, honestly, helplessly, when we think about this very real problem. Lord, we have long outsourced deeper problems to people with lots of degrees, and certainly there are still times to do that. But on issues such as these, when we see that there are such competing views of you, of humanity, of the world, of the problem that we have, of the solution to the problem, Lord, would you please give your people courage all of us, fill us with Your Holy Spirit to believe You and trust You and follow You. To speak on Your behalf uh, into these very delicate and uh, disastrous situations that are now the norm in our culture. The Gospel speaks to everything, Lord, and I pray that You would help us to connect the dots. And I pray that You would give us unction and courage to be Uh, proclaimers of this great gospel in every area of our lives uh, with those that you've put in our path. Help us, Lord, to be good disciples and to make good disciples. Uh, We are dependent on your authority to do that. We are comforted to know that you are with us in that and uh, you will not leave us or forsake us. Lord, use us to expand your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We, uh, you could have a couple minutes to throw out some comments.
if you'd like. You know, I spent the last 10 years, and uh, I talk about this so often now, so. Uh, I spent the last 10 years abroad in Europe, and uh, <coughs> this is one thing that I, it's just blaringly obvious for me when I come back to the States and I see people about how politically correct we are, mm. and how that just seeps into every part of our lives, and I mean specifically talking about things. Mm -hmm. You know, everything's off, you know, everything's taboo. You can't talk about politics, you can't talk about, you know, health issues, you can't talk about weight, and I really feel that that's just a sad, sad thing that hasn't been allowed to happen. You know, people can't be real anymore. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is, that's one of the big slippery slopes that we're facing. Because, truth be known, I feel like this is actually an opportunity. I didn't really think about it till, like that till right now when you said that. Uh, but I think that's a huge opportunity. You know, we don't like the direction it's going, but that, that's just an open door that allows us to talk with somebody, whereas we wouldn't Talk about it before. Yeah, and you're right. You know, I think there is freedom in our culture to be real as long as you're being real in a way that's consistent with the cultural norms. But this is not. Uh, we are not consistent with the cultural norms, and uh, it, it's more and more glaringly obvious to us. Thank God. I thank God for that, and we needed that. It's not perfect over there either, by the way. Well, that's yeah. What I was trying to say. No, no. But but in a context where you're more comfortable being uh, separate. You're more used to, yeah, we have a terribly different position than you on most things. You know, foundational things, uh, how you would go about building things. How, you know, it's just we, we view the world differently. We view each other differently. We view God differently. Everything's different. That's good. Uh, it's good for us to have to come to terms with that because that is our heritage. That is, that is the way the church was born. That's the way the church has always thrived. I expect that the Lord will cause the church to thrive even more in times such as these, but we have to think through these things. That's encouraging. Anyone else? Okay. Have a good day.